Welcome to this Daring Adventure podcast, where we work on bridging the gap between where we are and where we want to be in order to live a bigger and bolder life. In this podcast, we will provide inspiration, tips, and skills you need to make your life the adventure you want it to be. Here's your host, mindset mentor and life coach, Trista Gurton. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of This Daring Adventure. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I have a very special guest, my friend and colleague, Dr. Maggie Kang. Welcome. Thank you. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you here. I know it's been a while since we first talked about doing this. So thank you for your patience and I hope we have fun and share your fabulous story with everybody. Thank you. So excited to be here. (laughs) So why don't we get started and maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I think probably a good place to start would be with my daughter because that was sort of like how I got into coaching. Mm. So I said, yes, I'm a physician mom. I've got two kids and my younger daughter. Now she was diagnosed with a rare disease at age nine, which really just kind of upended our lives. She was so healthy before, just really robustly healthy, athletic. And then she just suddenly wasn't feeling well, very nonspecific symptoms. And we brought her to the ER and I saw on her MRI, her brain MRI, that it was so abnormal. And so she was diagnosed with this rare disease called neuromyelitis optica, which is an autoimmune disease. And it's like potentially quite devastating, actually. It can cause blindness if it affects the optic nerves, paralysis if it affects the spinal cord. For her, it mostly affected like the deep brain and brain stems. So, you know, cranial nerves, which really just means for her, she had trouble talking, swallowing, and Mm -hmm. really at and just breathing. And then she did at one point in the hospital lose the ability to move her right hand. So a lot of really scary things. And I was in this sort of like, obviously very stressed out place in my head and just thinking the worst all the time. And and I think all of that led me to find a way to manage the stress. So I'll tell you like the hospital experience and the shock of the diagnosis was bad for sure. Mm -hmm. We were there for like five weeks in the ICU. But when we got home, and even though she was definitely getting better, not a cure (laughs) is available, but she was on some medicines that held the inflammation at bay. We were at home trying to kind of adjust to our new normal. And that really just brought up like all sorts of other challenges mentally. Mm -hmm. So, and of course, like we're heading into the pandemic at this time. So I'm not really even interacting with people. So really just not sure how to support myself or my daughter, or just how we're going to live our lives with this sort of thing in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of randomly found coaching. Like I was just going through podcasts and, you know, maybe I would have found yours at, at the time that you had one. But then I decided to just hire a coach because I really didn't know what to do. Right. And so I did. And I learned all sorts of like really valuable ways to kind of manage my day-to-day stress. And as you know, and this is like the crux of all coaching and Mm -hmm. everything that I'm doing right now is that everything is really a choice, a choice to think a certain way about your situation. And although that does sound like 
pretty basic and like maybe you've heard that before. I think I really came to understand what that means. So fast forward, you know, a couple of years when I decided to put it all into a TEDx talk. And mm-hmm. the reason why I decided to do a TEDx talk was because a lot of people hadn't seen us for quite some time. Like they knew we yeah. had this devastating disease and this horribly traumatic experience. And then, you know, we we're in the pandemic and everyone was out of school. And then we showed up again and we looked much better. And they were like, what happened? How did you manage? This is fantastic. And I just couldn't really sit down with every single person to tell them my journey and mm-hmm. like how we manage this. So I decided to put in a TEDx talk. And so with TED Talks, you can't just go on stage and just tell them your little story. You have to have a message. So the message that I decided to share was the difference between pain and suffering. And that all comes down to a choice, really. So it's this idea that when you have pain in your life, and pain is actually part of life, Mm. right? Like, we know in the coaching world, I think there's sometimes this idea that we should all be happy. And if we're not, there's a problem. But of course, that's really not the case. Mm-hmm. There is pain and loss and grief. And we really all need to feel that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my daughter was diagnosed. I was grieving the loss of like who she was before that and dealing with the trauma of like, what are we dealing with now? And what does this mean going forward? Mm-hmm. But I really just couldn't get there. I just really didn't want to feel that pain or emotion. I was just not like a big fan of emotion, by the way, back then. (laughs) And so now I understand the value of it because had I kind of just sat with it and really just kind of absorbed all of just the sort of sadness and the grief and the loss, I think I would have done better. But instead, what I did was that I went into kind of fix-it mode, which I guess is sort of like the way I am in the hospital, like the way we are when we train as doctors, Mm -hmm. right? So I was like, okay, we're going to call this person. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And this is all going to be good. And we're going to get back to our normal lives. That was my goal, which of course couldn't happen. There was a cure and most people had never even heard of her disease. So here I was trying to create something that just wasn't. And that was how I created my suffering. So when I couldn't fix it, I went to blame mode, like on her mom, on her physician, like, why can't I fix this? There's something wrong with me. And why didn't I take her to the ER sooner? Why didn't I consider this diagnosis? Like, why did any of this happen? Mm-hmm. I just thought there's some crazy reason that it was like at the core of it, that I had done something wrong, that I was like, inadequate somehow as her mom and all of that. Like, I know it doesn't make sense like at all when I'm saying it, but this is what was happening in my head. And I had heard this guy, Haruki Murakami is an author and he's known for this quote, you know, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's sometimes credited to really, it's probably originated with the Buddhists and other people have said it, but when I heard, and I read this online, you know, this quote, and I was like, wait, what? Really? Suffering? I thought pain and suffering were just like, it happens. And like, mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it? And you're just very unlucky if it happens to you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not the case. This is sort of like earth shattering <laughs> news to me, right? Yeah. So feeling the pain was the pain. And finally, when I realized that I did go back and I really kind of sat and processed my pain. 
part of why I didn't want to do it at first was because I thought I was going to get lost in it, like yes. kind of get sucked into sort of like that black hole of emotion and be like stuck in depression, that type of thing. I just thought, no, I have to keep moving. Like I can't go there. Like I can't afford that emotion, that kind of things. Turns out that's actually not the case. Like it's crazy. Actually, if you accept that pain and you move through it, it doesn't actually last that long. I mean, it's shocking. Mm -hmm. So when I did that, I sort of moved through it and I came out on the other side. Sort of like being able to see things in a different way. Like, yes, my kid has this disease, but we're actually managing mm-hmm. and we're learning to sort of like, I don't know, become different people. Like our family became tighter. We were more supportive and we started to understand things in ways that we couldn't have before. Mm-hmm. Like ending sort of the plight of other people who are maybe like struggling with their disease and maybe have never even been diagnosed with anything and just go on their day-to-day journey of trying to figure it out and experiencing pain and not knowing what's happening with that. So I just feel like I've come into this place of like understanding. Mm -hmm. And so it has propelled me and my daughter to want to get involved in rare disease advocacy. We've joined our, like we're part of the Sumira Foundation for NMO. Oh, so her disease is neuromyelitis optica. It's also called MO. And so it's called Rare Disease Foundation for this particular disease. We've met a whole community of amazing people. And so I do feel like our lives have opened up. It has changed. We have become different. And all of that sort of happened when we kind of like moved through this pain of like, it was a dark, definite place. But there was always sort of like this light at the end of the tunnel. It never felt to me like it was this permanent place of darkness, Mm. which is I fear of most people. And it was my fear too, Mm. until I learned that there was another way. Like once you do process that pain, you do find something on the other side. Right. Yeah. And it's the story that you tell yourself, right? Like you talk in your TED talk about choosing a new thought. And I think that's so important. Right. It's totally about the story, right? My former story was, oh, I'm this inadequate mom. I didn't do this right. I'm to blame. And all of that was a terrible story that I lived with for like two years. It was really bad. Okay. You just make a different choice about how you want to look at things. Absolutely. Right. And then you started showing up completely differently, I imagine, for your daughter. Because you you mentioned, I think, at one point, right? Totally. I know. I honestly was annoying everyone in my family. Like when I was at the peak of my stress. So imagine this. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating well. I like gained all sorts of, you know, weight. I was feeling unhealthy and I was really just kind of on edge like we were all in this house during the pandemic you can't imagine like nobody wanted to be in the same room (laughs) right and so when I kind of like accepted the pain and I moved through that I was like calmer afterwards Mm -hmm. realizing that I was actually not to blame and really it wasn't about blame like nobody is to blame like this was our and we were always going to get this disease and we are becoming stronger and wiser and we're going to do something with it, this whole experience. 
Nice. So coming from a place like that, you can imagine like my countenance, my tone of voice, my body language, all of it shifted. Mm. Walking to a room, people were happy to see me. <laughs> but my daughter Nell, she was like, you know, one day she actually just said, you look so much better and I don't feel so stressed around you. And so just little moments like that, when I started to notice that, I thought, wow, amazing. Like mm-hmm. things had really turned around. And so I want kind of more of that, right? Yeah. So there was just like, oh, talking to her about like, well, what is like making you feel good? And we were shifting our diets. I was eating healthier. We started doing this like paleo autoimmune thing and we were cooking and having so much fun with each other and just mm-hmm. supporting one another. And so it was just like little moments like that started to build and create a different narrative of our yeah. lives yeah. that we were not the victim of our circumstance, that we sort of accepted the pain of that circumstance, but we are actually moving forward and creating something from it, something really powerful and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, absolutely. It's about the stories, like the narrative you want to create, the decisions you make moment to moment mm-hmm. that kind of get you into that place where you are starting to create the life that you want, 100%. Nice, nice. And so how is Nell doing today? She is great. She's on really good maintenance therapy. Okay. We have a lot of support from the foundation and all like the experts in this rare disease, which I think would be really hard to come by if we were just kind of solo in our world. And I'd be looking up doctors online and how do I connect that type of thing? Like working with this foundation has been a game changer. And I actually recommend that for anybody who has a rare disease, try to connect if there's a foundation or maybe even consider creating one mm-hmm. because it really like, brings a community of support together. You get okay. to learn your disease, you get to raise money for research, you get to like connect with all the sort of world experts on your disease and it's just fantastic. And so now the foundation has been really amazing. They've gone global. So now we know doctors in you know Europe and Asia and Africa and Latin America who are studying this disease and everybody is sort of pooling their data, which doesn't always happen, by the way. Okay. <laughs> but this is a community where people really want to, you know, pool their information because there are not that many people with disease, obviously, because it's rare. So yeah. you really want to get all the information together to see what can be discovered. Okay. Okay. Nice. And she's written a book I saw. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> You know, it's the same way that I wanted to share my story on the TED stage. Nell has written a book. And part of that came about because transitioning to her school was so hard after her mm-hmm. hospital. I mean, she was so tired. Some days she was in a wheelchair and she just mm-hmm. really could not get on board with fifth grade, right? Like, how hard is that? I mean, it's like these kids have no idea what she went through. She was gone for like half the year. She shows up and here she is in fifth grade. And she's feeling like nobody gets her and she doesn't fit in and all of that. So she talks to her language arts teacher. Actually, her name is Claire Norris. And I mentioned her just because there was a CBS news clip that they did about their story, which I will get to in just a second. I know, so amazing. So Nell's having such a hard time sort of transitioning back to her kid life that her teacher said, here's a journal. 
you know, go home and like really just pour out your heart and, you know, this is going to help you process your pain. Right. Mm-hmm. And so she did that every night, really religiously. And so at the end of the year, she had this whole notebook filled with multiple entries. And so we decided to put that into a book. So that's the way the book sort of reads. But she also like goes back in time and describes like her day-to-day in the hospital and what was mm-hmm. helpful and it's mm-hmm. not. And just kind of like what to expect if you happen to be a kid or young adult that is in the hospital for a long time. So it was great. Like there was no book kind of written like this. And that's also the reason why she wanted to do it. Because I think she was looking for a book to help her kind of manage all of everything that was going on. But really, there wasn't anything out there. So she did. She published the book. She had the diagnosis at nine and the book was published at age 12. And then it was picked up on the CBS Evening News and Nordonald put her at the end, like feel good story. So there was a picture of now hospital experience, the book. And then they did the story around her teacher and Nell. So they had this whole dialogue with the two of them in our backyard. And I know, right. (laughs) And that in turn, this is just like the craziness of how life happens. So when, you know, she got picked up on the CBS evening news that pinged the Samira foundation for animal because we didn't know about this foundation at first and she got the alert her phone to say oh there's a kid with this disease and she was just in an, on cbs news so then she reached out to now the foundation and asked her to be a part of it and so that was just like such a fantastic sort of connection of little pieces that i would have never obviously been able to put together myself going mm-hmm. forward that really just opened up our lives. And so now we're super excited to be in a community where everybody knew exactly what it was like, you know, to have this disease and not have anybody know what this meant, have no cure. So that was what happened. And so going forward, I think she's also becoming a speaker and she's sharing her, you know, story and, I am actually on Saturday speaking at the National Organization of Rare Diseases in Washington, D.C. It's a great organization. And yeah, so I'm going to be on the speaker panel. And specifically, the event is for helping caregivers. Okay. Okay. So, okay. Really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, are you still coaching? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes, I am. And I'm starting to actually kind of focus on that now because Nell is full time, thankfully. And so I'm focusing on moms of kids with chronic needs. And mostly my clients right now, I have like one or two with rare disease, but a lot of them actually have kids and teens with high anxiety. And so all of the statistics you're hearing on the news are for sure true. I mean, it's actually kind of scary. So I'm happy to kind of be in this role to help mom caregivers kind of navigate through all that. Because I think a lot of that is, it's like your kid does have a disease or have a condition or some kind of diagnosis. And that may be like a new one and you're sort of getting on board with that, but you are sort of like part of the caring. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that it's important as a caregiver to kind of you know, being a mental place where you're taking care of yourself and you're also showing up in a way that you want to in that relationship, because it's most likely a long-term relationship. 
mm. or at least that I'm talking to. So it's right. not like, oh, the person has like a cold and you're just like, you know, put everything down. We're going to help you get through this one episode. Mm. A lot of times with these sort of conditions, you're really thinking about a lifetime of management and learning how to kind of sort of adjust like everybody really who's close to that person. Right. And so I can imagine, I mean, mentally, physically, emotionally, it'd be very demanding. So yes, if you're not taking care of yourself, and ensuring that you're getting the rest, you're getting the support, you're cleaning up your mind and just making sure you have that story and you're processing your emotions and you could just easily get depleted, exhausted, burnt out. So fast, actually. And I don't know if like, this is the piece that I discovered. I don't know if most people know about it is that actually, if you're a primary caregiver and you're very close to the person that you're caring for, it's like how you actually impacts how mm. they are. Sure. It's, you know, and so I learned that when I got better and I started to see how that sort of impacted Nell mm. and sort of like a weird sort of mirroring. She started to sort of get on board with like, oh, I need to manage my stress too. Like I want to be better and that I'm noticing that stress actually impacts my health and it mm. makes it worse. And so I don't want that. So it was like, we didn't even have an active conversation about it. I don't think, I think it was just sort of this like understanding that, that like we all kind of want to be better. We noticed that there are things that we notice in each other that just seem better. Like, and for, you know, for me, when she was observing me, like how I was managing my stress, how I looked in the morning when I actually slept mm-hmm. that taking walks because it helped my mood and in turn, up in a better way for her and that I was like looking at recipes and finding ways to be healthier and that all sort of increased our energy and just happiness so I do think there is like a great importance of not only self-care for you but that it also impacts that other person that you're very close to and I'll give you an example do you think that something I see with a lot of moms who want their kids to be well, right? You always want your kid to be happy. That's just kind of the way it is, I guess. But you'll like unconsciously kind of put pressure on your kid to be happier. Like, oh, you're so stressed and anxious about this thing. Well, don't be, it's okay. It's fine. You're fine. And you know, you can just get over it and that type of thing. And that's not helpful to the person. And it's because you're showing up in a way where you're nervous about it and you're anxious about it. And you just want them to get better. Right. And that doesn't help anybody. So it's kind of like you sort of just kind of recognize that yourself and you take some time to, I don't know, take a walk or whatever it is that's helpful to you. Then you can just kind of get into the space of like, okay, I actually want to be supportive. Like, how can I be that person? Mm-hmm. And you don't come in with all of your, your own like wanting energy and like your controlling energy, which, you yeah. know, with all good intentions, you think we have that tendency as moms yeah. or maybe primary caregivers. Right. Yeah. And it's almost like you want them to feel better so that you can feel better, but right. it, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. <laughs> I sure for that person, like if it's a kid, it's just a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think it's just like stepping back and recognizing all of that. Right. Yes. And I mean, as we learn in coaching, it's never the, other person or the external circumstances that has that power to make us feel better, right? Like they can't do that. And so 
it always comes back to us. And yes, yes. Right. And if you can sort of model in that way, like you're managing it and like you're the way you're thinking about it is that it's, a, you know, we got this mm. you know, it's so sad that you feel this way, but I am here. And just sort of like that openness of like, there's a possibility of like what we can explore. And it's not this like raspy needing energy that you're bringing to the exactly. caregiving. Exactly. All right. So tell us a little bit about your TEDx experience, because that's very cool. I think really, it's amazing accomplishment. Thank you. Can I, I'm so funny. I'm glad you asked that because if you're thinking about doing TEDx talk, it's not as easy as you think to get on the stage. Like, I don't know why I just thought, oh, I just like go and apply. And of course they're going to call me. No, totally. Like I had to go and like actually research how to do it. Like, and people hire coaches. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, just the application process in and of itself was like very involved. And it's not because you're applying to just one big TEDx organization event, you were applying to all the little TEDx events. So, TED on itself is like the bigger stage. TEDx is, you know, the local places where my theme was like, like right in line with theirs. And so it worked out. And I think it was just because it all sort of matched up. And so that's how I did. But I am not someone who's typically comfortable being up on that stage in front of potentially millions of people. So getting my mind to that point was, I think, um, a work in itself. So I wrote it and I was super happy with the content, but it was like the delivery that I was having trouble with. People were like, you need to bring your emotion you can't just like talk like you're giving a medical conference. It cannot be boring. And I was like, what? and so, oh yeah, that was hard. But like my family really helped me with that. And it was actually kind of funny. They were like, stop, mom, you need more emotion. You need to just like almost be on the brink of tears. And I was like, what? So it was that kind of thing. So I didn't break down on the stage, but I took pauses where I needed to. And I like, you know, I took the audience to a place where it was very traumatic and difficult. And I think I started with a happy story. So there was a lot of like emotion mm-hmm. I, once I tapped into it, but it was super hard for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can see. I mean, it's obvious, you know, that it does take a lot of work and preparation, but I think, you know, you did a beautiful job. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm so happy when people see it and feel yeah. like they from it. But you know what's so interesting? I guess something a little different from it. Because when I wrote the talk, it was with the intention of like trying to address the sort of mom, parent, caregiver audience, you know, people who have kids, you know, with either medical or emotional or any kind of challenge. But it has really opened up like men have seen it and got something out of it. It was shown at my daughter's middle school school assembly. And when I went to her school, like, you know, all these seventh grade girls came up to me and saying that they appreciated my talk. A lot of high school kids have come up. So that has really been rewarding, really rewarding. Good. All right. Well, do you have anything else you want to leave our listeners with before we close out? Any final words of advice or anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess just like kind of talking about the TED Talk, really, I mean, TEDx Talk is just that I think in life, really, when things happen, I guess don't resist feeling pain. I'm really consider just kind of 
sitting down in a quiet place and just saying, I don't feel good about that. Or, you know, maybe you had an experience of rejection or you lost your job or something happened. I mean, maybe you get a diagnosis. I don't know. Anything like that is really just like a part of life experience. And it's a choice to feel it. And it's also a choice to not create suffering. And if that's not clear, just listen to my TED talk and maybe it is clearer on, if you have any questions, feel free to email me through my website, which is, you know, www.maggiekangmd.com. And if you're interested in learning more, I'm going to be starting a newsletter where I do share a monthly sort of um, new way of thinking about things on tip, if you will. Mm -hmm. Perfect. All right. We'll make sure that the links to all of that are in the show notes. Make sure we get the TED Talk and Nail's book and the foundation and everything in there, your website and whatnot. So Great. Thank you so much. I think this will be helpful to a lot of people. Oh, I hope so. This was so fun, Trista. Thank you. You're most welcome. Thank you again for joining me and thank you for your patience. And thank you everybody for listening. And if you have any questions, please feel free to email me and then email address will be in the show notes. And as well, if you're interested in trying coaching for yourself, The link to my calendar will also be in the show notes and you can schedule your private one hour coaching session and try coaching for yourself. Thanks everybody. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Daring Adventure podcast with your host, Trista Gurton. We hope you enjoyed the tips and conversations on how to get excited about life again. As always, you can head to tristagurton.com for additional resources and to book a one-on-one coaching session. You can also follow Trista on Instagram at Trista V. Gurton. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.